Good evening. I'd like to welcome you to our evening service and looking forward to just a great time of fellowship together around the Word of God and singing praise to Him. Let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer and then we will get started tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this Lord's Day and we thank you for the Christmas season, such a, a beautiful season where we focus our attention on the birth of the Lord Jesus and we think about not just what he, uh, when he came but why he came and what he accomplished and how we are forgiven and cleansed and we are major children all through his redemptive work. And I pray that this evening as we focus our attention on you, I pray that you would get the glory and that we would be uplifted as your people and we pray for your blessing on this time and we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, good evening. Thanks for joining us for worship this evening. Please stand with me. Open your hymn books to number 202, Good Christian Men Rejoice. 202, we'll sing all three verses. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Give ye heed to what we say. News, news, Jesus Christ is born today. Ox and ass before him bow, and he is in the manger now. Christ is born today, Christ is born today. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now the year of endless bliss, joy, joy, Jesus Christ was born for this. He has opened heaven's door, and man is blessed forevermore. Christ was born for this, Christ was born for this. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now you need not fear the grave. Peace, peace, Jesus Christ was born to save. seated as we turn over to number 208. 208. Ring the bells. We'll sing both verses. One, 
one of these times I'm going to hit you with that coda. Um, 228, 228. What child is this? What child is this? 228. We'll sing all three verses. So uh, 
Frank Dumpsha sent me this email. He wants me to read. Um, Dear church fellows, I want to thank you all for your concern and prayers, but especially the Lord's grace with regard to my latest feat of stupidity. It could, it could have been a lot worse, and I am sincerely grateful to God for his kindness. Thank you so much to those of you who have already been kind enough to send cards, cookies, pies, or cheesecake, as well as other various forms of convalescent paraphernalia. Gideon's card was painfully hilarious, but it was worth it. I figured I should uh, have plenty of appropriate tokens of appreciation, so I went to Amazon to order a box of 50 thank you cards. I still have most of them. <laughs> Love, Frank. There's more to that story. Frank said, Frank Dumpshaw wanted uh, to have something read to the church, but he didn't want us to see it before it was read. And I was like, is that really a good idea? So, so Frank, if you're listening, we, we, have, we have honored your request. <laughs> Thank you for not embarrassing us. <laughs> All right, well, on Sunday nights, we like to take a couple of minutes to uh, just give...
of number eight. Glorious is thy name.
few more. Any others? Press. Which one? 108. All right. Let's see. Yes. Which one? 252. I think that'll do it for us. 108 in the red book. My father planned it all.
Good evening. If you guys would, open with me to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. One of the exciting things about this season is we, we go look at Christmas as an exciting time. I, I find Christmas as one of my favorite holidays. Um, I, and I, I really do believe that Christians, they don't have to be as excited about Christmas as much as I am. But they should find excitement in Christmas for one of the biggest reasons is Christmas is the culmination of millennia of God's planning coming together for the birth of his son, knowing what eventually would be the cross for him. And God was working for all this time. And God was planning and working things out. It's an exciting time of the year. But when we come to Judges 16, it's not a joyous time. Judges 16 is the story of Samson, and it's really the story of Samson's tragic downfall. A man who, if you would have thought, when you read the beginning in chapter 13 about his life and his parents meeting the Lord and how he planned and the Lord started working in his life, you think, this man's going to do great things for the Lord. And you read through the story, and you keep reading, and you wait for the climax of things turning around, and you just you don't get it. It's a very sobering message about a man who had great potential and wasted it. One of the unique things to make sure we remember is that he was a Nazarite. The idea of being a Nazarite was he had three major um, restrictions on his life. He couldn't take a razor to his head, he couldn't touch anything that was unclean, and he couldn't touch anything from the vine, wasn't to have anything from the vine. Those were the three major criteria for him being a Nazarite. And if you read through his story, he breaks each and every one of those. So you go, what, how, how, what happened? And that's really what we're going to dig in tonight is how I want us to see that God desires for you to be a part of his plan. God desires that you be a part of his plan. The question I ask then, are you, part of, are you letting God part of your plans or are you being a part of his? When we look at Samson, there are some highlight marks as we look throughout the chapters I want to look at. So if you would, even though I said 16, turn back over to chapter 13 real fast. 13, 24, and 25 at the very end of the chapter. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. The child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. One of the things there to mention is he's from the tribe of Dan. Uniquely, as Dan is a tribe that has very little mention about them. If you were actually to describe Dan in any way, it'd probably be little faith. So seeing the Lord is working in this tribe, was he was showing grace and trying to extend it to this tribe that he, he saw them, he cared for them, and wanted to take them out, even though they were described as little faith. Jump down to verse 4 in chapter 14. And his father and his mother knew not it was of the Lord that saw an occasion against the Philistines, for at the time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. The Lord was starting to work, was the first time it clearly says that the Lord was working in Samson's life on a one-on-one basis kind of thing. We keep reading, we jump to verse 19. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men and took their spoil and gave garments. Again, we see the Lord working in his life. We jump to chapter 15. 15 verse 14, it says, When when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were on his arms became as flax that were burnt with fires, and the bands loosed from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of of an ass, a donkey, and he put forth and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. And we see that the Lord did mighty things with Samson. That's not discredited. He did do mighty things. But when you really read through this, it's a man who wanted his own life and had wanted really nothing to do with God. And you you may wonder why. As Christians, we look, and we, as I look around this room, we see people who have chosen to follow God, and we can see the blessings of it. So you wonder, why did he not see what God could bless him and do through him? 
He was so limited in his human frailty with his own potential, and God could have done so much more. Why did this turn out to be? And that's really what I want to look at tonight, is the sobering message of Samson's tragic downfall. Look with me in verse, um, chapter 16, verse 1. And when Samson went to Gaza and saw there a harlot and went in unto her, and it was told of Gaza, I'd say, Samson, it come hither. And they compassed him, and he laid wait for them all night in the gate of the city, where he quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay midnight and rose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city, and the two posts went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders and carried them upon the top of the hill that is before Hebron. And it came to pass that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for how successful yesterday was. And we were able to see, uh, just hear the challenging messages and seeing so many young people here, Father. I just pray, though, that as we look at this message of Samson, that the young people and the adults here, Father, will will realize the importance of making that decision to be a part of your plans rather than trying to do their own. Father, I just ask, though, as we look at this message, help it to be clear. Praise Son's precious holy name. Amen. The first thing when I read through here is I, I see Samson's desire to seek validation from others. Primarily, one of the things I read through is that he begins by talking about how he goes down to Gaza and then at midnight, when the men of the Gaza tried to kill him, he takes, he basically just walks out of the city, carries the gate, the frame, the bar across it, and he carries it to the hill before Hebron. To put that in perspective, the distance from Gaza to Hebron, and as straight as the, you know, the crow would fly, is about 37 miles. If you do the same straight distance from one city to another, that would be from Baltimore to D.C. as a straight shot. Obviously, we can't do that in 30, 37 miles or so. It's, we have to take all the turns. But that's about the rough distance. He, it seems like a very incredible event. And I want to know one thing there is it doesn't, it's one of the first, if not the first major event that Samson did that there was no spirit of the Lord. He did it of his own volition. He wanted to do it. And the reason why I say he sought validation, the first thing I think I see when I read it here is he sought validation from his peers. Which remind that he was a Nazarite. He was a man that was separated from everyone else. It was a mark of separation, as it talks about in Numbers. And it says now, to make sure that he's separated, we have this criteria for him to make sure he's not the same as everyone else. To think about that, he was alone. He didn't have friends. He was very different from everyone else. He would have been different. He, oh, he can't do that because he's a Nazarite. Oh, he can't. He would have not been able to play and do certain things that maybe the rest of his peers would have, or been in special school. He would have been different. He would have been just wanting their attention. But the city he takes it to is unique. Why didn't he just drop it off wherever he wanted? Why did he carry it 37 miles? Hebron was in the tribe of Judah. Why is that important? If you actually look back to chapter 15, verse 9, Judah basically wanted to sell out him. You're like, oh, he's a different tribe. They're still family. Israel came united as one nation many times. They saw each other as family. And his family tried to sell him. He's trying to get their attention saying, I'm one of you. I can in essence, destroy them if I wanted to. Will you, do you recognize me? The second thing I see when we look at his validation from others is he has this uncanny ability to seek validation from women. We see in chapter 14 that he sees this woman of Timnath. Yeah, the Lord was working there. I think it was also, as you read through it, I know it says they sought a, um, the Lord sought an occasion against Philistines. I also wonder the Lord was using this to grab Israel's attention. Was he saying, are you going to let this happen? And his parents did. They went down and got her and just did this. 
I think it was both in a, it was an occasion against Philistines and Israel to say, are you paying attention? But he sees there and he goes down and his wife is given away and he finds a new wife. He finds this woman, Delilah, and he seeks for validation from her. And I think it's very easy for men to seek validation from women. Uh, there's a book I was reading recently and they were talking about how that men inadvertently will make women the adventure of life. And that's why relationships burn so fast is because men are pursuing, especially today, they're pursuing the woman's excitement. They're doing all these things and it gets heated and it gets away from them and it becomes something it should never have been because the woman was the adventure. But it talks about how the woman wants to have become along with the adventure. She wants to be a part of it, not the adventure itself. And Samson was seeking women's for validation. He said, I don't have peers. My parents have not done what they should have with me. They didn't stand up and say no. These different things are going on. He goes, so I'm going to find a woman. Someone who will see me for who I am. And what does the woman do? She sells him out to her people. She's willing to give him away for his family. The woman, the Philistines, in verse 16 in chapter 14, it says, And Samson's wife wept before him and says, Dost thou but hate me and lovest me not? Thou hast put forth a riddle unto the children of my people and hast not told me. Behold, I have told it. He goes, Behold, I have not told it my father nor my mother. Shall I tell it to thee? And she wept before him the seven days while their feast lasted. And he comes along and she's just like, why won't you tell me? The woman that he's pursuing, making this idol of sorts, she goes, don't you love me? Don't you care about me? I I can't imagine how that would have felt for him to have been stabbed, in essence, kind of a physical stab of, yes, I love you. Let Let me show you I love you. Let me tell you this. The same thing happens with this woman, Delilah. She comes along and she keeps asking them, hey, what, what's the source of your strength? He lies. What's the source of your strength? He, he lies. Source of your strength? He lies. That takes us down to verse 15. And she said unto him, how canst thou say, I love thee, when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times, and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words, she urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. The woman he was replacing God with and pursuing did not care. She was giving him up. And again, he has that, I imagine, this broken heart of, yes, I love you. Let me show you that I love you. I, I, to the men in here, I say, I ask that same thing. Whenever your wife says something like that, how your hearts break and you will be willing to do anything to show that you love her. It's the same thing here. He, he puts this woman as this idol to show that he does care. The, to me, this story of Delilah, many aspects is something that I know I have struggled with in high school. Uh, for those who don't know, I went to public school. There are two things that a relationship does when you're in public school. It gives you status as having a relationship, and because nothing else matters, you have someone to talk to. The the public school system treats you as you're unvaluable. So you find this person that seems to give value. Samson was rejecting God, and he was instead looking at this relationship saying, I have value now. I have this person I can relate with because I've been rejected by my family. My parents, I don't want to do anything with them. You don't see them mentioned again after the first couple of verses. And he goes, but I will spend my life with this woman and she will give me value. She'll give me identity. And they move on. When Samson decides to tell Delilah the solution, I want us to note a special thing here is that Samson rejected God. To get to this spot, and I think we finally find the core of everything, is that he knowingly did what he did and rejected God. Read with me in verse 17. And he told her all his heart, and he said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. 
I'm going to pause there. I, I find it hard to believe that he didn't know what a Nazarite was. He has drank wine. It's been very clear. He's done that before. He had slain the lion, goes in, and he takes from the lion that is dead. He breaks it there. He knew what was expected of a Nazarite, and he disregarded it. He was openly rejecting God. And he realizes what's going to start happening next. Continue with me in verse 17. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I will be weak, and I'll be like any other man. And jump to verse 20. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Wist there is just, he did not know. He, he just assumed the Lord would always be with him and be blessed. That's not how it is. When I look along this passage, another few verses come to mind. pastor mentioned them this morning in Romans chapter 1. So Romans chapter 1, 21, 24, and then 26. I'm going to read them here. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 24. Wherefore, God gave them over to their uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And then verse 26, just the first half here. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. God looks at him and he says, Samson's been chasing the world. He's chasing him. He's chasing for these different reasons. And he's like, I, you're still Nazareth. You've not broken this. Oh, you broke that. All right. Well, you still haven't broken that. All right. Well, now you've broken that. And he goes, you haven't broken this one. I'm going to give grace for now. And as soon as he, I'm going to say openly knew, he knew what was going to happen. You can't look at the first several verses and think it it wasn't going to happen. He knew. He rejected God and God says, if that's what you want, I'll give it to you. The rest of the story here only gets worse. He has his eyes gouged out. And he gets brought out as a Philistine many years later. And he's brought out and he's treated like a trophy. Everyone gets to look at him as they say, hey, bring out Samson. The one that slew you out of prison, they say, made him a sport. And they set him between the pillars. And he's just like, they just looked and pointed at him. Man, what a life. A man that had so much potential and he wasted it. And then when he concludes... The story of Samson says, let me die. He says, the Lord, and he took hold of the two pillars which were upon the house. This is verse 29 of 16. It was borne up, one in the right and one in the other left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon him there. And so the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which they slew in his life. And the verse before it, it did mention that he, he wanted it for his own personal reasons. So, we look at Samson. Where do we go from here? We look at a man that wanted validation from others, a man that has rejected God. Man, what a, what a, so, what a, that's the end of the chapter. Are we, are we done? The story of Samson ends there. But I want to ask the question, and our third final point is, what does life according to God's plan look like? Let's find the antithesis of the story of Samson. If this is what the story of Samson looks like, what's the opposite of him? The first thing that comes to mind is Galatians 4, 5, and 7. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, be made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The first thing that God gives when we become saved, we become a Christian, we become his son, is he gives us a new identity. 
the idea of adoption. In today's society, when we are adopted, we gain a new family. But one of the biggest things that we are given is a new last name. It's no longer what it was before. It changes. There is this idea that you are now identified as a new creature. You're no longer separated from God, but he says, you have value to me. Come here, I will identify you are now the child of a king. There's a new relationship. One of the things the world wants to define is that you, your identity is in your work, sports, family, children. Your life is found in value. Your identity is found in all of these different things. And we look, instead, we can look at it going, but God says, I have given you value. I have given all these things. And it's not what the world seeks. It's not any of that. And it, it's a challenge. I'm not saying this is easy to recognize. It really requires a brand new, a transforming of your minds to recognize that things have to change. I can't look and see things as they used to because I'm not the same anymore. And it's going to cost. In Luke 9, it says, And he said unto them, If any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall save it. For what advantage, so for what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose his soul or be cast away? The idea here is to decide we're going to give up that servanthood, to reject the world, means we have to look to God whose plan is entirely opposite of what the world's plan is. And saying, God, I would rather be a part of your plan than a part of what I could do, because I know it's so much bigger and so much better. So the first thing I would say is, what does a part of a life with God's plan look like? It's a new identity. Recognizing that you are God's son or daughter. The next thing is, you really have a new value system. Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5. Sorry, Hebrews 13, verse 4, 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So what we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. This passage has been one that has encouraged me more and more and more than any other verse, probably more than most verses. Because when I get stressed, when I feel anxiety, when I have all of those different emotional problems that are coming along, I look back at this verse and I see, Be content with such things as you have, for I have said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Christ is over here saying, am I enough? We look at the things of this world and we say, oh, I want this, I want that, I want to find my identity, I, want to, I value this, I value that. And he goes, am I not enough for you? Oh, I'm all alone. Samson, he was an all alone man. And God gave him this vow and he says, am I enough for you? Samson had a choice. We have a choice. I, I was listening to a podcast and a Navy SEAL is being inter- interviewed and he says, when men go to the Navy SEAL training, that oftentimes you have these, you have those guys that had, they just joined college, they joined, or at, sorry, out of high school they just joined because they had nothing else to do than to join the military. Then you have those that are professional athletes that are these men that you expect great things out of, and they go to the Navy SEAL school, and he goes, more often than not, the men that become Navy SEALs are the high school dropouts or the high school, just the regular diplomas, because they had nothing to lose. The most successful men there in the Navy, they talk, in the Navy SEALs, he was saying, is the men who are willing to lose everything at the cost for this job. And Christ comes along and asks the same thing. He goes, Am I enough? Are you willing to give up everything for me? Again, that's not an easy question. But to close, I want us to read one more passage. Flip with me to Psalms 1. Psalm 1. 
this passage here, this chapter, Psalm, gives a comparison of two walks of life. You can either be walking A or walking B. And the Lord really does present it as a choice here. And he says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In the law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And that last little verse there, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. Saying God has a plan. God has a plan. And he comes along and just says, will you be a part of it? There's going to be a cost. Don't disregard that. But it's going to be worth it. I, young people, if you were to talk to parents, grandparents, different men and women around this room, and you were to ask them, is it worth it? I would hope the, the answer would be yes. It is worth it. No, it's not always been easy, but the answer is worth it. And just as if anything in life is hard, it's worth it in the end. So I have a couple things I'd like you guys to look at as we wrap things up, is that seeing that God's given us a new identity and new value, will you let yourself be a part of his plan? Young person, I see you around the room. A lot of you were at, uh, lit yesterday. You saw a lot of colleges. There are hundreds of colleges around the country, thousands if you think about around the world. I'm not going to say there's any one right college. But the right college is the one that the Lord has for you. I can think about friends who have given testimony of being at Pensacola that has been known for being strict and challenging. But the best thing that people said they enjoyed it because it's where the Lord had them. Think about the colleges. Some of you are right there in the cusp of going off to college. Or you think about that in the next few years. Have you started praying and asking, Lord, where are you going to send me? I want it to be where you have me. I want to be a part of your plan. Maybe you're like, Lord, I know you want me to go to this college. And you ask, what is the career? What is the, the, what is the, the major you want me to have? And that's, there's no clear, maybe you're not getting a clear answer. But you know he wants you to go. Then go. He'll open the path. I went to Pensacola as an engineering major. I was there for a week and realized that was not what the Lord had for me. The Lord knew where I needed to be, though. And I wouldn't change it for anything. And I think about the adults, the parents. What about you? Is there an area in your life you've not wanted to give over to the Lord? You're, you have this area you said, I'm willing to give everything over but here. He said, it's going to cost is it going to be worth it? But the question you need to ask yourself, is it going to be worth it? And the answer will be yes. So the question I ask as we all leave here is that even though we look at the sobering story of, the sobering story of Samson, I want us to remember that God wants you to be a part of his plan. So the question I ask is, will you let him be a part of, sorry, will you let yourself be a part of his plan? Let us pray. Dear Father, thank you for today. Thank you for everything you've given us. Lord, you've been good to us, better than we deserve. But Father, I just ask, though, that even during these challenges, and we look at the story that you are working, and the story could have been so much different, I just pray, though, that we will decide to be a part of your plan and seek you above all else. Pray the Son's precious holy name. Amen. I remember when I was in college, I had a pastor who gave an illustration that talked about kind of this concept, and uh, he told a story about a man who 
one of, who was watching him cut his grass one day. He says he was cutting his grass. The guy looked at him and he's like, what's to do with that, uh, that wheel on your lawnmower? He said, there's nothing wrong with my lawnmower. He said, no, really, look at it. It's like, it's all chewed up. It's like, it's tore up. And he said, I don't know. And so he went and he looked at it and he realized that the guy was right. The one lawnmower wheel was all torn up. And he said, well, how did that happen? And he remembered back to when he first got the lawnmower. When he first got the lawnmower and he assembled it, he made a mistake when he assembled that wheel. When he assembled that wheel, it was sticking. And instead of him fixing it the way he needed to, he just left it that way. And he went and he cut his grass for years with a wheel that would not turn properly. And, you know, he cut his grass week after week after week after week after week. But in the process of cutting his grass, he tore up the wheel. And, when he said, when he, and then what he said is this. He said, you know what? That is kind of what happens to our lives when we decide to resist what God's doing. He works through us. He works around us. He even uses us in ways that uh, are quite remarkable. But because of our resistance to him, uh, we get chewed up in the process. And that's exactly what Samson's life was. It's a tragedy. And God did work through him and God did use him. But because of his presumption and because of his pride, his self-centeredness, uh, his life is very, very tragic. And so we need to keep this in our minds. Thank you uh, for the challenge from God's word this evening. Uh, let's take out our hymn books, please, and let's turn to hymn 391. And the song that we're going to sing for our closing is I Am Resolved. I Am Resolved. 391. Please, let's stand together and let's sing all four verses of I Am Resolved. First of all, um, if you want to uh, place a poinsettia in memory or of an honor of someone, please make sure that you take care of that tonight because next Sunday is when uh, it'll come out in the bulletin. And then also don't forget that next Sunday is our cantata in the morning. And uh, we're really excited about that. It's always a wonderful Christ-centered service, uh, beautiful music. The choir has several specials and uh, we have a cantata and the story is Straight out of the Bible, it's a great, great passage of scripture that we're going to 
um, have presented, and that will be the focus of our message as well. So uh, please take the time to invite folks who maybe they don't normally attend church. Maybe Christmas and Easter is the one time they go. Oh, no, the two times, sorry. Um, they go to one of those two. There you go. <laughs> Um, you know, invite them out and, and uh, see if they'll come. And it's, it's always a great, great time. So just want to remind you of that as well. Uh, Casey, can you close us in prayer, please? And then uh, we'll be dismissed. Good to see each of you out tonight. Also, pray for those who are sick. We have a lot of folks right now that are sick. And uh, not sick, but broken. We got that one too. Frank? <laughs> so go ahead. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for the really convicting word that we did get tonight. Father, please let us just uh, store your truths up in our heart as we go about our week and um, really do consider our part in your plan and um, hopefully not our reluctance, uh, but our willingness to, to live that out, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.